For those of you I haven't met, uh, my name is Logan. I'm the lead pastor here at Lower Manhattan Community Church. Uh, if this is your first time, we are so glad that you found us and then joined us. Um, we just have one request of you. We want to get to know you. Um, you'll see QR codes around the room or with some of the welcome team. If you scan that, it takes you to what we call a connect card because our desire is to connect with you but also connect you with our community. And so we'll add you to our email list. It's using MailChimp, so it may go to spam the first time, just in case you're wondering why you're not getting emails. Um, but it's a chance for us to invite you into the full life of our church. We gather here on Sundays, but that's not all we are. We gather throughout homes um, in the city, and we would love for you to engage in meaningful relationships as we all figure out who is God and what does he want for our lives. And so we'd love to connect with you before you leave. Love to get to know you and your name. Um, the second announcement that I have is today we're starting a new sermon series. It's titled The Spirit-Filled Life. Um, but it's more than just a sermon series that we're doing on a Sunday. It's really kind of entering into a season as a community uh, where we're seeking to understand what is the Holy Spirit. Um, the Bible speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit and what it means to live a life led by and filled with God. And when I say seeking understanding, what we're trying to do is not view God through the lens of past experiences or stereotypes, but we're trying to seek the real truth of God in his scriptures. And so starting on May 1st, next Sunday, uh, we're going to do a reading plan through the book of Acts, and there are Bibles over at the welcome table, and it's a new translation. It's called the Passion Translation. And we want to ask that you take it with you. We're going to use that as our kind of reading plan process. And we're using a new translation because if you've been familiar with the scriptures, a new translation causes you to see the scriptures in a new way. And if you've never read the scriptures, we feel like this is an easy way to get to know God at, as you begin to read the scriptures. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. And more than just understanding, our hope is that you would get to know the Holy Spirit. It's a very mysterious concept uh, filled with church lingo and language and religious constructs and maybe bad experiences for some of you. But we want to get to know the Holy Spirit as revealed in God's word, that you might have it be a lived experience of God, not just an idea or a concept. And so we're entering into a new season together as a community. We want you to be a part of it. So if it's your first time, it's a good time to join us. Uh, but before we go to the sermon, before we enter this season, uh, I'd like to pray that God's Spirit would be with us. So please join me in prayer. Father, this has always been a part of your plan that we would access and know you through your Spirit. Jesus, you declared that you would send the Spirit to lead us into all truth. And so Spirit, we turn and say we want to know you. We want to have a relationship with you. And we want to experience all that you have to offer in our lives. And so we invite you to come and to fill this space, but also to fill our complete lives, our body, our mind, that we might be able to not just sing that you're enough, but begin to grasp fully what it is for you to be the full provider and satisfaction for our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, today in my message, I really want to 
explain why we're focusing on the Spirit-filled life, and then begin to invite you to sort out how you will engage with that. Because if you're going to get the most out of this season, it's not merely from taking in and listening, it's from you starting to engage yourself. And so I want to explain why you should, and then how you're going to get the most out of this next season if you join us in doing this as a church. In regards to why, why we're focusing on this. So last week, it was Easter. And Easter is the kind of fulcrum of the Christian faith, where we look at Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but then he rose from the dead at Easter, and yet Jesus says that's just the beginning, that that was just a part of a bigger plan. His very teaching was that I have to do this so that you're going to experience something even better than one event. So in looking at the teachings of Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, he was sitting with his disciples. They viewed this time as kind of a final meal before they would start this revolution against the Roman occupying forces. They thought this was going to be the pep talk that's like, let's get fired up and let's go change the world. And Jesus starts to tell them, I'm about to die and I'm going to leave you. And they're like, this is a bad idea. Like, can we revisit the game plan? Because that's a losing idea. And Jesus, in his instructions to them, in John chapter 14, we read, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And Jesus is communicating to his disciples, what you've experienced in my ministry is the result of the Holy Spirit working through me. So you've been around it. You've experienced and tasted and seen it. But it's better if I go away because the Spirit will not just be with you, but will be in you. He's communicating this idea that the Holy Spirit is going to fill your life. And they begin to ask these questions, and they're like, this doesn't make any sense. God's going to be inside of me. How does this work? Why do you have to leave? It's way better when you're around. And he goes on to continue to teach them. And in John 16, he says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, it is he who will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is now available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There's so much I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And this is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The big why of why we're doing this series is 
Jesus tells his disciples, it is best for you that I go away so that the advocate will come. He is saying that there is a better experience of God and a better experience of this life if you have and experience the Holy Spirit. And as we were singing um, Jaira there, and we kept singing, he is enough, more than enough, can I confess to you there's times when I don't believe that? Like, that I don't believe that God is enough and more than enough? Like, it's like, yeah, you're, you're great, but I kind of want more. And as I'm singing that, I was considering the fact that the Spirit is the one that helps us access the truth of that song that it helps us actually be able to feel, think, see, and experience that enoughness of God, even the more than enough, the overflow, the filling. Jesus says the best thing that could ever happen for you is after my resurrection, I ascend to heaven, send the Spirit, and the Spirit fill your life. So that's why we're looking at this, because we really want to explore, is that true? And if it's true, how do we taste it? How do we live in it? How does it become what marks our life? And what I want you to see today is that this is not a new idea with Jesus. It's not a new idea with Jesus that God wants to fill your life. We just needed Jesus to be able to initiate it. Jesus says if he doesn't die, we don't get access. If he doesn't resurrect and ascend, we don't get access to it. But it was never a new idea of Jesus's. It was always God's plan to fill your life. And so to help you see that, I want to just break this down into three sections for today. The first section is God wants to fill your life, and he's always wanted to fill your life. The second is to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in filling your life. And the third section is your role, your role in experiencing the Spirit filling your life. So the first idea that God wants to fill your life. When I say that, I don't mean that God wants to make your life busier. Because saying this in a church context, there's a lot of times where this idea means more religious activity, more religious behavior. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that God wants to make you busier for and inside all of the church. Not what I'm kind of communicating. I'm saying that God wants to make your life full. There's a difference between being busy and being full. And New Yorkers, we should know that, right? Because how many times does someone say, how are you doing? How have you been? And you're like, "Uh, I've been super busy. (laughs) We expect, as New Yorkers, to be busy so much that when we're not busy, we're like, something's wrong, and I have to find something to occupy my time. Because boredom is not a New Yorker's, like, purchasing idea. We don't want boredom. We like busyness. We like the pace, right? But you can be busy and incredibly empty. You can be busy at work and be leading towards burnout. But you can also be busy and full. You can have an empty schedule and be full. There's a difference in busy and full. We see in Jesus, at times, he was incredibly busy, but he knew what it was to be full of God. And when he was empty, he knew what it was like to go get refilled so that he could live full of God. And other times we see that he's empty of his schedule, but he's full of life and laughter and joy. And God wants you to be full. Jesus' very words say in John chapter 10, the thief's purpose was to steal, kill, and destroy. 
My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. When I say that God wants to fill your life or to make you full, this translation says rich and satisfying. Other translations use the word abundant. I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And that idea is it's going past the expected limits, going beyond the, the big idea of more in capital letters. And when I was looking at that word, I was wondering what limits have you put on your life and what limits have you put on God? What limits have you settled in because circumstances haven't turned out the way you intended? What limits have you put on what God may have for you and want to do in and through you? And how do you return to this idea of rich and satisfying, abundant, more than the expected limits? How do you break whatever ceiling on God that you've put? That's what he is after. But again, it's not a new idea. And I say that because from the very beginning of creation, what God wanted to do was to fill your life in every arena of it with his goodness and his joy and his peace and his, your satisfaction. In creation, the very creation account in Genesis, it said that after he made mankind, he put them in the Garden of Eden, and he said, every tree that is pleasing to the eyes, every, every tree that can bear fruit that is tasteful and delicious and is good for you, I've given it all to you, and including the tree of eternal life right in the middle. God wanted to fill their environment with his goodness. From the very beginning, he said, I just want to overwhelm you. I want to give you a crazy amount of eye candy where you just look around and you're like, that's beautiful. It's the way we feel when we see the cherry blossoms come at spring and the tulips burst forth in full bloom as finally warmth comes to us after too long of a winter. We're like, he just wants us to experience beauty from our eyes. What purpose is there to a cherry blossom or to a tulip outside of just looking at it and having this well up inside of you of just going, that's beautiful. And God says, every tree that's ever existed. My wife was telling me yesterday that on Governor's Island, they're about to, to uh, open a new art exhibit called Open Orchard, where this artist has taken seeds that are now extinct in our area but we're once flourishing and is rebuilding an orchard of over 400 different types of fruits that he has made into this hybrid. Things that we no longer see that we're meant to see in this city now are going to be given to us again. God's like, I just want to fill your eyes with my beauty. And then he says, I want you to taste it. I want you to take from it and experience delicious, satisfying foods to your fullness. He always wanted to do it. And then we also see that he doesn't stop even after we rebel against him. He's not like, oh, I wanted to fill your life, but you said no, so fine. You get to experience disgusting things. You get to experience ugly things. When he saves his people out of slavery, he sends them into the wilderness, but he also creates this tabernacle, a portable and temporary facility that they will tear down and set up, just like we do every Sunday, in order for his spirit to come and dwell in full as a communication that he's with his people. But he's not satisfied with an ugly tent. 
In Exodus, we read that the Spirit comes and fills artists and construction workers to make a portable and a temporary facility gorgeous, to make it beautiful, because he wants them to see that I just didn't want to fill you with my presence in some spiritual manner, but in a very physical, beautiful, practical, satisfying manner. God wants to fill your life. He wanted it to be your environment, but he also wanted it to be your personal relationship with him. He wanted to fill you not just with the things that he's made, but with his presence in relationship. To be around you in the environment, to be with you in relationship. And now we hear in Jesus that he always intended for him to be in you. But in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit only fills a few individuals inside one nation, Israel. And Jesus comes to say, I initiated it so that everyone would be full of the Spirit. That's why I go, so that the advocate would come. And then we read that after the disciples get filled with the Spirit themselves, all they want is for every person they interact with to be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he's writing in the middle of this book to the Ephesus church, and he pauses to pray for them. And he says, after I think about this, all I want is this. I pray that from God's glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God's plan from the beginning is to just overwhelm you with his goodness. He says, I want my glory, my perfection to fill all the earth so that you would see it, you would taste it, you would feel it with all your senses. And then he goes on to say, I want it to be in you. And all the disciples are doing is saying, I want you to know Jesus because when you say Jesus is Lord, the spirit comes into your life and it changes you. God wants to fill your life. That's section one. Section two is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in filling your life? And in doing so, I just want to ask the question, how would you define the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? When I grew up and I came to faith, going to the church, I was never taught much about the Holy Spirit, and I think that's because it was too mysterious for kind of our modern Western, like, evangelical mind, where, like, we get God as Father, we get Jesus as a Son and Savior, but Holy Spirit, why don't we just focus on the Holy Bible? Like, let's just, like, it's very mysterious, and Jesus even speaks about it in ways like, it's the wind, and it's a fire, and what does this actually mean? You know, what is the Holy Spirit? Is it a force like Star Wars or Shang-Chi? Do I have to like do certain motions? Is it magic like Harry Potter? If I say the right words in prayer, the power of the Spirit flows through me. And what we see from the language of Jesus 
And the language in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit is a person, a being, a person that you can interact with, that like the Father and the Son are being, so is the Spirit. Now that's been a confusing, confusing concept from the very foundation of the church. Hundreds of years they debated how do we define God himself and how do we define the Holy Spirit. And they come up with a theological idea known as the Trinity. And yet even as people describe the Trinity, it's very confusing. <laughs> they use terrible metaphors because no metaphor can fully grasp the magnitude of God. And the only metaphor that I've really kind of come to say maybe this is close for me to grasp is the metaphor of a family, like my family, Team Gentry. There's me, there's my wife, and there's my kids. We're each person, being, separate. But we are Team Gentry, ride or die, and you need to know that. You come against one of us, you come against all of us. There's a unity, but it, that metaphor falls short. Because the way that they talk about this Trinity relationship is of such greater unity than we could ever taste of such greater care and love and respect and honor for one another that we could never fathom. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I honor the Father. He says, the Spirit only comes to speak what I give to Him, and I've been given everything from the Father. This beautiful interplay. And the more I talk about it, the more confusing it's going to get. So let's just move on. But it speaks about this person that is a being that because of Jesus' work, when you declare by faith that Jesus is Lord, the Spirit comes inside of you, somewhat to what we might call the soul, and does this process of awakening, of reanimating your experience of life in a brand new way. And they were confused when Jesus taught it then, just as we are now. The Jewish rabbis who had been studying God forever had so many questions. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and in Jesus' communication to him about this kingdom of God that's coming, he says this, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So the first role of the Holy Spirit is to give you new life, born again. He uses the analogy of pregnancy. He says, just as someone has to be born into this world, so to be born into a spiritual experience of this world, the Spirit has to come and open your eyes. The word born again, the word new life there is a reanimating. If any of you have seen The Matrix, which is way too old of a reference right now, and I don't mean Matrix Resurrections, I mean the original Matrix. There's this conversation about the blue and the red pill. That you can choose one and have an understanding of what's actually going on throughout the world, or you can continue in your own existence. And Neo chooses this new path. And what begins to happen is his eyes are open to see what's actually going on in the world. Everything he once experienced is now reanimated and re-envisioned and reborn so that everything he touches, tastes, feel is a brand new experience. 
And the Spirit has come to give you life so that you see heaven and earth mixed and mingled. That you see it in your workplace and you see it in your home. That the beauty you see, you see God behind beauty. The taste that you love, you see God behind that taste. You see how he fills. The first role is to give you new life. Romans 8 puts it like this. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your moral bodies by this same Spirit living within you. When it says that he will give you life, it means that anything that you think is dead in your life, that just as Jesus was resurrected, he is literally saying, I will take dead things in your life and make them alive again. You will come back to life and how you think and how you love and the joy. There is an awakening. What is dead in your life that the Spirit, just as Jesus broke from the tomb, might also break you free from? And then experience more and more in full this new life. The second role that I want to focus on in terms of what the Holy Spirit can do, and there's many, I'm, I'm summarizing it in three, and this one was a hard way for me to describe, but I settled on this phrase, a, a new way of being. Some of you might use the word identity. That's a modern kind of construct because we no longer have places that orient our lives the way that they did in ancient times. So now we have ideas that orient our lives. And we, an identity, we attach to it. We attach to it with our career and vocation. We attach to it with our orientation sexually. We attach to it in how we would describe ourselves in gender. We have these identities and ideas now that are orienting factors and that says, this is how I will now live my life. But for them, in ancient times, they had religion as an orienting factor. And Paul, picking up on that fact to the church in Corinth, he uses one analogy repeatedly, and that's the analogy of the temple of God. Because the temple of God oriented their schedule, it oriented how they spent their money and their time, it oriented their experience of pleasure and life. The temple was an orienting factor of how they lived, their way of being. And so he repeatedly described, now that they were, as followers of Christ, that they were temples of the living God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, we, For we are the temple of the living God, as God promised. And he quotes the Old Testament. I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He's saying that when, because of Jesus, when you believe and the Spirit fills your life, it gives you a new way of being. And he describes that as a new family. You're children of God now. That's who you are at a core. But also you're the temple of the living God. And we're going to have another message in this series that focuses fully on this idea of what is the temple. But I want you to see that it is a new way of being. 
how you live and what you live for, how you think about your body, how you think about the body's purpose and its practice. Because if we look back, we see that the temple was meant to be beautiful and glorious and display God to the world. It was meant to be a place where they experienced God's fullness and joy and life, a gathering place for the entire nation to celebrate with festivals and parties and peace and power. And now he says that is you individually in your body, a new way of being. So it's a new life. You start over. It's a reset. It's a new way of being and how you live and, and have, your, have your way of going. But the third is that there is a new power and a strength for life. As Paul prayed that you would be strengthened beyond the strength that you actually need, that you be given new power in your inner being. And this is the promise that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That language I've come upon you, I think, is very helpful because it's what we see at Jesus' baptism. When he's baptized, he comes out of the water and it says that the Spirit descended like a dove, not as a dove, but it was this being descending upon him, coming over him like an overwhelming presence that, that kind of hugs and embraces. You ever just been hugged by someone that's, too, that's way bigger than you? I have because I'm short. But this experience, like when Paul Little hugs you, you just like get engulfed, right? It's God just engulfing you and then never leaving and never separating. God wants to fill your life. And so he went to great lengths through the person of Jesus Christ to die and resurrect so that no one would ever be prevented from experiencing the fullness of life, but that all of you could have it by faith and receiving the Holy Spirit. But here's the last section, and it is by far the hardest. God initiates, but he demands that you partner. He needs your consent, and he needs your participation. The language of the scriptures is that you determine if you participate in the fullness of life, and the depth at which you participate in the fullness of life. You have a role to play. In some ways, he's communicating, this is an equal partnership. I will always give my 100%, but I need you to also give that 100%. If you're going to be filled and experience the fullness of life, you have a role to play. Let me read Paul's words in in Ephesians. He says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. <laughs> like he's like, just facts. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. 
and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled is a command. It's not just a, just be filled. There it goes. And the language that he used shows you how much you have to participate in the activity. It's language of consumption. He's saying, consume me. In your mind, don't act thoughtlessly and just reactively to the world, but consider how you're living so that you think in a way of what is God doing to fill my life? Using the language of drink, he's saying, consume me. And I thought about this idea of like, don't live on a diet with God. Devour God. Because we tend to live on a fullness of the world and a, and a little bit of God. God's dessert or God's an appetizer. We'll start the day with him, but then we'll go on and consume everything else. Or we'll go on with the world and we're like, oh, wait, I need God. And then we turn and we're like, oh, nice dessert. He's saying devour God. Like as if you went to your favorite restaurant with the one that has everything on the menu that you wish you could order. And he's like, order all of it. <laughs> Have the whole menu. And when God is saying, you want me, you want life, you want joy, you want peace, you want patience, you want all of it, have the full menu. But consume it. And when he says be filled, he's saying be filled to capacity and beyond. Overflow. Because he's not just interested in you experiencing, but others experience it around you. That idea of him filling the environment, you have a role to play in that. You're overflowing with love. You're overflowing with peace. So you become those people that are like magnets to goodness. Like They're just so much fun. I want them at the party. That was Jesus. Everyone wanted Jesus at the party because he overflowed with the fullness of God. But it wasn't just language of consumption. It was language of receiving. He says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. You can consume God individually as much as possible. But being around them, there's a different level of overflowing. Being around people that are also doing the same. This is why he talks about the temple being not just individuals, but a collection of people that are living stones by which he's building his church and building his people. And all of this, he says, is this attitude of worship, of giving thanks, of gratitude of all that you see. He's saying when you consume it to the point of being drunk on the spirit, that it influences and controls you and overwhelms you, that you begin to give it to others and they receive it too. And all that you can do in response is be grateful to God. Again, I want to return to this idea that the Spirit doesn't fill you to enhance your church experience. The Spirit doesn't live at tutusprosis so that when you get off the elevator, you're like, oh, I'm finally at peace, even though it's beautiful here. It doesn't just exist to help you sing better and more beautifully because Esther and, and Alex and Karen can harmonize and maybe you can join them. It doesn't just fill you to experience him inside of a community group or a Bible study. It's meant to reanimate every part of life. And in trying to grasp that, I want to read a very long quote from C.S. Lewis. And it's from this article he wrote called Reflections from a Toolshed. And he uses this language where he talks about sunbeams breaking in. 
And seeing the sunbeam breaking into the cracks where the dust kind of like flows and you get to see the sunbeam. But he's saying the sunbeam is not the sun. I enjoy the sunbeams, but when I get right in the middle of it, I'm blinded. Everything else fades because I see the sun. And he's talking about gratitude in this way where you see the gift and you're loving the gift, but you track it back to the giver. And the spirit opens your eyes to see all the gifts that this world has to offer. And you take it back to God and worship. Here's what he says. He says, gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Adoration goes further and says, what must be the quality of that being whose far off and momentary coruscations, great word, SAT word, are like this. One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. He goes on to say, if I could always be what I aim at being, no pleasure would be too ordinary or too usual for such reception. From the first taste of the air when I look out the window, one's whole cheek becomes a sort of palate down to one's soft slippers at bedtime. I don't always achieve it. One obstacle is inattention. Another is the wrong kind of attention. One could, if one practiced, hear simply a roar and not the roaring of the wind. In the same way, only far too easily, one can concentrate on the pleasure as an event in one's own nervous system, subjectify it, and ignore the smell of deity that hangs about it. A third obstacle is greed. Instead of saying, this also is yours, or thou, one may say the fatal word, encore, more. There is also conceit, the dangerous reflection that not everyone can find God in a plain slice of bread and butter, or that others would condemn as simply gray the sky in which I am delightedly observing such delicacies of pearl and dove and silver. You know he's British when he talks about the clouds and gray skies in such ways. Because I do not see pearl and dove and silver. I want to see blue and bright blue and warmth. <laughs> but what a reorientation that the spirit might animate creation in such a way that you see the full beauty of God as a gift to you every day. That you might wake up with this idea of the relationships that you've been given as a gift of the giver and how good of him to get it, but also what type of God comes up with the pleasures that you can experience in this life? What type of God makes your body with senses and taste buds that you can fully experience everything he has to offer? God wants to fill your life. And he did it so much that he wanted to send the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit could change you bodily, physically, emotionally, mentally, inside of your soul to awaken you to all that he has in this world. That the mundane could be something to worship. That you would not just be busy anymore, but you would be full to the fullness of God. This fullness of life. But you determine if and the depth. So the invitation over this season is to join us as we seek to be filled, to consume and receive and to worship in the spirit, to be led by the spirit of God in everything we do. Let's be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray.
Spirit, the words that come to my mouth are just, we just invite you to come. To come and fill the room because as God you can be in all things. To come and fill our minds, our hearts, our body, to awaken our senses to your presence and existence. Spirit, come. That we might experience all the goodness of this life that you have to offer, that you made. Spirit, come. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.